Our scripture reading is taken from 2 Peter chapter 1, and I want to read the first 14 verses. I would encourage you, if you have your Bible handy, to turn to the place and follow the reading. The words will also appear on the screen. Let's hear the word of God together. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 14. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. It reads as follows. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And my theme today is entitled A Christian's Resources for a Life of Practical Godliness. I want you to notice how Peter introduces himself in his second epistle to the Christian church, Simon Peter. Now, that's interesting. We'll come back to that in a little moment. He describes himself as a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He then addresses the recipients of the letter to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. And he adds a word of explanation how they receive such a gift of precious faith. Remember, it is always and only through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He then adds the customary greeting, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Notice the order. It's always grace first, followed by peace. God always deals with us on the basis of his grace first, undeserved, unmerited favor to lawbreakers and criminals. And on the basis of grace brings us into a state of peace with himself, where we have peace with God, and into a life where we can know the peace of God that passes all understanding. Peter tells us that this grace and peace is and can be multiplied unto us through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Every Christian in Christ, of course, needs to grow in the knowledge of God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's important if grace and peace are to be multiplied within our soul and in our life. Today I want to ask the question, is it possible to be a true Christian and live a life of practical godliness in the world? Remember, we're living in an ungodly world, a world that has an anti-God philosophy, an anti-God agenda. How then can a Christian live a godly life, not only in light of the world in which we live, but in light of his daily inward struggle with inbred sin and wickedness. How can a child of God grow in the knowledge of God with his heart and mind so often filled with doubt and despair? Is Jesus Christ really adequate for me to meet my need when I'm a hurting soul, when I'm struggling with so many of life's complex problems? Now, the answer to these questions that I've asked rhetorically, and we could ask a thousand more, is in a resounding yes, is an abundant yes. Listen again to Peter. Listen carefully. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and virtue. Now, what is Peter saying? What's he talking about? I believe that Peter is dealing with our sufficiency in Christ. The Christian's total sufficiency is in Christ for living out the Christian life and in Christ alone. Christ is everything that we need. Christ is all that we need. You see, I believe this verse is all about the Christian's rich resources in Christ for a life of practical godliness. Far too many Christians lack a recognition of our sufficiency in Christ. They have forgotten, of course, and they have lost sight of the riches that we have in Christ. See, many have, have this idea today. Jesus Christ is not able to meet my need, especially when I'm hurting, especially when I'm struggling, especially when I'm facing the complex issues of life. My problem's too deep-seated for the Lord. My problem's too entrenched for him to do me any good. Maybe you're th listening to me today and you're saying, but preacher, my problem is, is a mental anguish and struggle. My problem's financial. I'm, I'm worried sick. I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. Preacher, my problem is coping with sickness. Preacher, my problem is coping with illness in the life of a family or the loss of a child. Or, preacher, I'm coping with the death of a loved one. Preacher, I'm struggling with real temptation. 
Preacher, I have got real fears. Is there any help for me? Is there any hope for me this morning? Well, the answer is yes. Jesus Christ is adequate. Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet your need. So the answer to these questions is a resounding yes. Look at the text. Listen again to the third time to the words. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I want you to think this morning of the provision that's ours in Christ. Notice the words here, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Notice that God hath given unto us, that's those in Christ, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I want you to think today of the provision of life. I believe that the word life here is a reference to eternal life. And remember the moment we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the moment we believe in him to the saving of our soul, we receive this gift of eternal life. In John chapter 3 and in the verse 36, we read the words, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. Think of these words. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. In other words, it's a present possession the moment you trust Christ. You see, naturally, we are dead in trespasses and sins. Naturally, without Christ, we are under God's wrath. We're the objects of divine condemnation. Think of these words, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, the individual is called to life, eternal life, through believing in and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not called to life by being given a, a set a code to live by. We're not called to life by following a set of rules and regulations or by adhering to the rules and ceremonies of the church. Uh, God just doesn't give us some helpful hints to, to live a happy life by and, and say, go on and struggle in your own terms. No, God calls us to faith in Jesus Christ. And this faith in Jesus Christ, remember, is a gift of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, true saving faith is not something that's inherent in ourselves. True saving faith is the gift of God. It's implanted and imparted in the soul of the penitent sinner when we come to the feet of Christ, when we're born again of the Spirit. Peter emphasizes this. If you look at verse 1, he says, To them that have obtained a like precious faith. Think of the word obtained. On what ground did we obtain it? Certainly not because of merit on our part. It 
wasn't given as a reward for something we have done. It wasn't because we deserved it or worked for it. No, it's, it's a divinely imparted gift. God imparts new life in Christ. This wonderful, free, gracious gift of faith, it comes to us through Jesus our Lord the moment we trust him as Lord and Savior. It's bestowed in the basis of free grace on the ground of the personal work of Christ. And you've got to think of his finished work and his bloodshedding on Mount Calvary. You've got to think of his perfect sinless life that he lived in our behalf and rendered to God, keeping the law of God perfectly and paying for its penalty. Now here's a thought this morning. If on the journey of life you haven't yet got eternal life, I want to tell you that nothing else matters. Oh, you made a physical life, and you should thank God for that gift. Do you know that physical life is a gift from the God who holds your very breath in his hands? He could take your breath away at any moment. You, you might even be enjoying a good life. You're listening to me now. You've been well catered and provided for by God. You've got food in your belly. You, you have money in the bank. You have clothes in your back. You've got a lovely home. You've got a family. Uh, you, you have a job. Well, hopefully you have a job to return to when the lockdown is over. But that's not the question this morning. The question of questions is this. Have you got the life of God in your soul? See, someone has rightly said the true Bible believe in Christianity is the life of God in the soul of man. Eternal life. It's a present possession of every true child of God here and now. Listen to what old John the Apostle says. 1 John 5 and verse 11. And this is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Could I tell you something more? It's not just a present possession, but I believe it's a practical possession. It's a possession here and now. See, many don't believe this. Many think, well, eternal life, well, that pertains to heaven. But it's really useless now as I live out my life in the body. Now, I believe that's a lie of the devil. I believe that's wrong. You see, the true possession of eternal life begins now the moment you trust in and receive Christ as Lord and Redeemer and this true possession of eternal life continues to exist and continues to be right up to the day of our death and continues of course throughout the whole of eternity and, and this gift of eternal life this impacts on our daily lives it's a practical possession God grants us everything that pertains to the life problems, all the major problems, all the, the minor problems. Maybe you're listening to me now and you're dealing with the problem of suffering. A loved one is in the hospital sick. They're ill there. Maybe you're dealing with the death of a loved one. Maybe you're struggling with mental health issues. Maybe you've got difficulties and marriage problems. Maybe you're dealing with financial issues and worries. How am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to pay my bills? Maybe you're struggling emotionally. Maybe it's to do with the breakdown of relationships. And you're struggling with worry and doubt and fear. And you need wisdom and you need guidance and you need help. And, and where can you go? Well, we would say to you, 
you can go to the Lord. Listen to this verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Did you know that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Whenever you read your Bible, and you read the lives of the people of God in the Old and New Testament scriptures, you think of an individual child of God who faces some of the most unspeakable tragedies. Think of the life of Job. Think of an individual facing opposition and persecution like Stephen. You've got the threat of imprisonment, the threat of martyrdom. How do they cope? How do they live? Is it possible? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Grace abounds to the chief of sinners. Grace abounds to the penitent sinner. Grace abounds to the needy sinner this morning. Think not only of the gift of life, but think also here in the text of the gift of godliness. It says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, that's a rich word. It contains the idea in the Hebrew of a life of singing and praise. It contains the idea of a life of sacrifice and service and separation unto God. C.T. Studd said, remember he was the cricketer who gave away his millions if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. You see, a life of godliness, young people, is not just about coming to church on a Sunday. It's not just about observing the times of public worship. The life of godliness applies to living out your Christian life at home. It, it governs what you watch on the television, what you look at on the internet. And of course, a true Christian will not be Googling pornography. It applies when we mingle with the unconverted, how we interact with them, the things that we say. It applies in the life of the school. It applies when we go to university. It certainly applies to the workplace. Remember, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And every Christian in Christ should strive by the grace of God to live a holy, godly life unto the Lord. Remember what the Bible tells us there in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul has dealt with 11 chapters to do with doctrine. Here's the outworking of that doctrine. He, he describes it in an encapsulated form, the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, the least you can do. And be not conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But be ye transformed, changed, high by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A godly life has to be a life that God's approve of. 
that, that, that has God's stamp of blessing and approval upon? And how much help has God provided to live such a life? Here's the answer. He's given us all things. All things with no exceptions. All things with no exclusion. Of course, we can never pertain a life of sinless perfection on this side of eternity. But we do strive purposefully to live a godly life. If we want to experience growth and maturity, if we want to experience growth and stability, if we want to experience growth and spirituality, then we need to realize God has given us all that we need to live a life of power and victory in Christ. Maybe you're listening to me and you're troubled and you're wrestling with some particular sin or temptation this morning. It could even be the sin of laziness. Remember, being slothful is a sin. Maybe you feel, well, there's something missing from my Christian life. What do I need? Where can I turn to get help? The answer is found in Christ. The answer has already been given in Christ. All things that pertain unto life and godliness. Here's the possession that's ours in Christ, or the provision that's ours in Christ. Notice secondly, and very importantly, I want you to think of the position that's ours in Christ. You see, every true believer in Christ has entered into a, a life of saving union with Jesus Christ. This is more than just a, an association with Christ, more than just an acquaintance with Christ, more than just a mere knowledge of him. Now, that's included, but it's more than that. It's even more than being joined to Christ. It's, it's really the whole force of the thought of union with Christ is being joined to Christ in a wonderful, saving, organic relationship. In other words, we have entered into a glorious relationship with Jesus Christ. In Christ, he dwells in us, and we dwell in him. Remember the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away, and all things have become new, and all things are of God. How can you be a new creature in Christ? How can you have a life that's changed and transformed? Here's the answer. Christ dwells in us as the hope of glory. We have been brought into, this is our position in Christ, a real, vital, living, saving union with him. And I believe that lies at the heart of living out the Christian life. Earlier this week, we thought of the little thumbnail from Galatians chapter 2 and in the verse at 20. And the apostle Paul was able to say there, I am crucified with Christ. When did that happen? Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul saw himself in the vital saving union with Christ. And that lies at the heart of living out the Christian life. Those who have obtained this precious faith, those who have faith in Christ, have begun to experience the wonder of a spiritual, special, saving union in Christ. God, of course, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, of course, you don't have life if you're not in Christ. 
And if you're not in Christ, you can't live a godly life. And if you're not saved by Christ, then you can't live a godly life, a life of practical godliness. It's only in Christ that you can grow in the knowledge of God. It's only in Christ because of being in a saving, spiritual, special union with him. I believe this morning that true godliness rests in this solid foundation. It is only because of Christ and the fact that we're in Christ that we can live a godly life, that we can know and experience power and victory over sin and temptation. If you read Romans 6, it's all about our union with Jesus Christ. It's not only that Christ has died for our sins according to the scriptures, but that we died in Christ and that we arose again in Christ. And therefore we enter into his newness of life and we enter into a life of victory. Our union with Christ is the very basis of our consecration unto God, the very basis of our sanctification, the very basis of our life of holiness unto God. It's also the ground, of course, of our communion with God. There can be no holiness, no communion with God, apart from this saving, spiritual, special union with Christ. If Christ died unto sin once, an event that happened once, now he is raised again. Now he lives in the power of an endless life unto God. And because he lives, we also live in him. This, of course, is not a position that we're growing into. This is a, a position that we're not striving to attain unto. We're in Christ already. And the moment you're put into Christ, then in Christ we live unto God. Remember, it's all dependent on Christ. What Christ has done, what Christ has achieved. This is how to deal with sin and temptation. This is how to deal with all of life's problems. You deal with them in and through Jesus Christ. You do certainly don't try to deal with it in your own strength or power. Here's the secret of living a life of practical godliness under God. It rests upon and depends upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And without realizing this, without recognizing this, our, our, our walk with God, our life with God will be impacted and will be affected. It'll be impaired. We, we need to understand what it means. All that we need to live a godly life is in Christ. Remember he said, without me you can do nothing. Remember Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Is it possible to live a holy, godly life? The answer is yes, because of the possession that's ours in Christ. Notice also today the possession that's ours in Christ. If we go back to our text, it uses the word again, all things. What things has God given to us as a possession? Not only the provision of life and godliness and the possession, but think of this possession. Has he not given us the blessed Holy Spirit? Are we not born again of the Holy Spirit and regenerated unto God? Remember what John says there in John 14, and this was part of the upper room discourse, and he talked to them about the Holy Spirit, having told them he was going away. And, and he says to them in um, John 14, verses 16, 16 and 17, And I will pray the Father, he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. 
Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And what's the job and role of the Holy Spirit? In John 14, verse 26, we read a lovely text of Scripture. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You see, the Spirit of God, part of his job is to reveal Christ to us. That's part of his ministry, part of his role. He, he reveals Christ to us as our pattern for all true godliness. We're not left alone. He hasn't left us orphans. He's given us another comforter, and he, he tells us who it is. It's the Holy Spirit, and we're indwelt by the Spirit of God, and we're led by the Spirit of God to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. So that's one of our possessions. He's also given us the Holy Scriptures. Here's another of the all things. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Peter here emphasizes a particular aspect of the Holy Scriptures. In verse 4, he says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Isn't it sad today that so many have neglected to use these great and wonderful promises that God has given us? We have it as a plaque on our wall. We have it as a box in the room. They, they, they adorn our houses. But do we use them? We can recite them. But have we received them into our soul and applied them in our circumstances and our situation? Let me give you a little story. Years ago, there was a, a native of North America, a man called Crowfoot. He was the Indian chief, and he was the chief of the territory of the Blackfoot that was between Medicine Hut and Calgary. And the Canadian Railway wanted permission to erect a railway through that territory. And Crowfoot, well, he agreed, and this was the basis of the agreement, if they would gift to him a free pass to travel the railway whenever he wanted. He was given the free pass. He put it in the leather pouch. He tied the leather pouch around his neck. He carried it everywhere he went. But there's no evidence that he ever used the free pass. You think of that, a free pass to travel the railway from Medicine Hut to Calgary, and it was never used once. There's no evidence. In other words, he neglected to use it. And you know, sadly, many of God's people are like that. They, they haven't used the Holy Scriptures. They don't read the Scriptures. They don't meditate upon the Scriptures. They don't study the Scriptures. They don't apply the Scriptures, especially these great and precious promises of God. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, Amen. Oh, I want you to realize the rich resources you have in Christ. Not only are you gifted with the Holy Spirit, but you're gifted with the Holy Scriptures. And we can feed our souls in the Word of God. And in my struggles and situation in life, I can ask my soul, is there any word from God? And I can turn to the book, and I can get a word from a soul. What about holy supplications? Have we not access to the throne of grace and prayer? Is the throne of grace not like the Oval Office of Heaven? 
Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God has given us a room to go to. we, We call it the throne of grace. We can kneel there. God has grace for us today. God has mercy for us. And in that room, you can plead the promises. And if you need pardon, you can plead the promise of divine pardon. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. You need comfort today. God's the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. You need divine help. You can pray with David. Help thou us. You you need guidance today. You can hear God saying, I I will guide thee with mine eye. Maybe you need divine succor today. He is able to make all grace abound toward you. Lord, how am I going to get through this? Lord, I can't face this. It's difficult, Lord. I feel like giving up. I feel like quitting. My grace is sufficient for you, he said to Paul. Maybe you're struggling with a particular sin or temptation. You need victory. That victory is in Christ. And you can, through prayer, plead the promise. And you can see that you're crucified with Christ. And you can learn to die unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness. For you died unto sin in Christ. It's interesting, as I said, about Simon using his old name first. Simon Peter, he remembered his backsliding. He remembered his uh, denial of Christ with oaths and cursings. He remembered the tears when he wept bitterly. He remembered the look of the Lord Jesus. He, 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 he was a, a backslidden man for a time. And yet here he is, he's recommissioned, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And he took that call seriously. And ever from that time, he endeavored to live a life of practical godliness unto God. And how How did he do that? He used these possessions that God had given to him. Could I close this morning? Let's think about the divine power that's ours in Christ. It says in our text, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You see, the Christian hasn't just got a technique God just hasn't given us a self-help book. He hasn't given us a set of principles to live by. He has provided for us divine power. And the word power here is dynamos, from which we get the word dynamite. And you think of explosive energy. And without going into it this morning, but we need to read Romans 6. And I don't want to do that because that's a sermon all in itself. But I want to say this, that the very same power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, that's the power that's at at work in us. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the fact that Christ died and rose again from the dead. And, and, And it's the power of the call. Think of this. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Someone has rightly said that conversion requires a resurrection. And Lazarus who was dead, the Lord Jesus stood outside the tomb and called for Lazarus to come forth. And of course, the call of the gospel goes out to all men to repent and believe the gospel. To repent and receive Christ as Lord and Saviour. And the Bible tells us there in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 6 and in the verse 37, the Lord Jesus said, he made a tremendous statement. He said, 
all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no ways cast out. And how can you receive this divine power? The answer is through the knowledge of him that have called us unto glory and virtue. The word glory here refers to the majesty of Christ. The, the word virtue here refers to the um, moral excellence of Christ. The word knowledge here is not just about information. Sometimes we take it of that. Have you got knowledge of this and knowledge of that? The actual Greek word speaks of the establishment of a relationship. It's an intimate, personal relationship. And I'm astounded as I read through the scriptures how that Peter starts dealing with the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He mentions that in the verse 2. He mentions it again in the verse 3. Do you see that? Through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and virtue. If you come to the last verse of Peter, it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And the knowledge of God, of course, is a, is a wonderful truth. And Paul is saying to us here, Peter rather, that you can have a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can have a personal knowledge of God. You can experience that. You can encounter that. You, you can meet him. And, and you can get to know him better. And, and in a deeper and a more intimate way. I wonder if you experienced and encountered this divine power that's at work in you. The power of God through the knowledge of God. Through him that has called us to glory. And virtue. Is there such a thing this day as grace for daily living? I believe there is. And I believe the more that we know him, the more we'll want to get to know him. You think today of his provision, what he's provided. He's provided the gift of life. He's provided the gift of godliness. You think of your position. I'm in Christ. That's unmovable. That's irreversible. You think of your possessions. Now you're indwelt by the Spirit. You've got the Holy Scriptures. And you have the wonderful privilege of holy supplicating at the throne of grace and calling on God. And that, that's a privilege of the child of God. That's your privilege. We can address him today as Heavenly Father. And we can experience and encounter this divine power that's at work in the soul. Oh, if you're converted to Christ, rejoice in that spiritual resurrection. Rejoice that you've been raised to newness of life and that life's in Christ and in all of life's struggles and all of life's difficulties. Let's see this tremendous power that's at work in us. It's not our own strength or ability. It's the power of God. I commend this little message to you. A Christian's rich resources for a life of practical godliness. It's all found in Christ and in Christ alone. May we discover the secret and may God help us to rejoice and realize how rich we are. 
Thank you for listening today.